0: From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. This is The Tea Room. Last week in sunny Melbourne, yes, can you believe it? The sun was actually out. The Digital Health Summit attracted over 700 delegates face-to-face to find out the latest and greatest in medical technology and virtual health care. Now, while most of the delegates were involved in digital health policy or research or were data and tech geeks, Of the highest order, I might add, there was a lot at the summit that was pretty juicy for GPs. Now, our guest today is a GP with 17 odd years of clinical experience, and she's also the clinical reference lead with the Australian Digital Health Agency. So I've invited Dr. Amandeep Hansra into the tea room to give us a rundown on what was hot and what was not at the Digital Health Summit from a GP's perspective. Welcome to the tea room. Thank you for having me, Wendy. It's great to be here. It was so nice to meet you at the Summit. How good was the food though? Oh, look, everything
1: about the Summit was amazing and I think that's what happens when you haven't been in a live event for some some time. The food tastes amazing, the people are all great, the the experience is yeah, it was just one of those one of those special special couple of days. It was so good to be at a face-to-face conference again. Yeah, I'd forgotten what those were like and I um, actually looked at my phone and realised I did incredible amount of steps and I forgot also how exhausting um, <laughs> face-to-face conferences were and you need to wear the right shoes.
0: So that's, that's my uh, tip for the day. I had exactly the same thought. I wore my, my sneakers the next day. Yeah. Now you told me earlier that you'd never seen so many GPs or doctors at that conference before. Yeah, look, Wendy, I've
1: been going to the summit for, for many years um, and in it, all of its previous sort of iterations before we were AIDH. And I have to say, you know, prior to this year, I felt like I was one of the few doctors and there were, obviously there's a group of us that sort of a hardcore sort of digital health people that have been going year after year, but it was that sort of same group. But this year I felt um, it wasn't just, you know, people with a technology background there or people from allied health sectors or, you know, people had been in inf- informatics for many, many years. We had a lot of new faces, a lot of people that were in clinical practice, um, you know, in the fr- front line, face-to-face care, who now were seeing digital health as a mainstream area of interest. And looking around the room, so many clinical people with real world sort of experience um, on the front lines, especially during COVID. And it just felt like things were shifting. You know, I felt like maybe in the future, we don't need a digital health summit. Maybe our health summits are all about digital and in-person and and all the other facets of healthcare. So it was a very exciting sort of
0: shift to see this year round. Yeah, I heard someone say that when are we going to stop talking about digital health being separate to health? We We can't really disregard digital health as a side option. It's something that is so embedded now to healthcare. So what were some of the items that you thought were of particular interest to GPs?
1: I mean, there was lots of things spoken about. I mean, obviously, everyone's heard about virtual care. And if you haven't heard about virtual care, I don't know where you've been for the last couple of years. Um, but COVID really has you know sort of turned the whole telehealth virtual care sort of remote care on its head where it's not seen as this sort of niche area where there's you know small pilots here and there it's very much mainstream you know we've had over 20 million patients who've accessed um, telehealth services in primary care over the last couple of years you know thanks to some Medicare changes but also because of necessity for the pandemic but I think going broader than just telehealth I think what was great at the summit was we started to see other technologies that you could augment telehealth or virtual care with and you know we had some great presentations by various health services I remember Sydney local health district talking um, about an app that they're using to do um, virtual wound care and so they've got a wound care command center and they provide remote care for patients with chronic wounds and the the app that they're using is this Tissue analytics sort of AI powered app. And it can look at, you know, it doesn't just sort of take a picture of the wound, but when you take the picture, there are all these other elements of the wound details that you get um, when you transfer it to the healthcare provider on the other end. Uh, the depth and, you know, the, the size of it and it's just credible information that you probably don't even get when you're looking at it face to face. And it just made me realize that the more we use these sorts of tools, the more it will change the very, I guess, models of care that we've been used to relying upon as GPs, you know, we may have patients that we don't need to bring into the practice setting. We may be able to access, you know, specialist services much easier to support us in primary care because we don't have to send a patient off to see the specialist face-to-face. We can access through these virtual care models where you can augment it with the technology. And so you're starting to see those sorts of things which can be used by GPs. But also you're starting to see that patients are using a lot more digital health technologies. There was the CEO of Orca from the UK who spoke. Um, oh, Liz I saw her. That was great. Um, she was amazing. She talked about these 365,000 digital health technologies that are available and that 5 million people download Um, Every day we'll download a digital health technology across the world, 5 million people. New subscribers. Yeah, new subscribers. Um, And it's gone up 20% during COVID. And then she said something else really alarming that, you know, we have more smartphones globally than we have toilets and toothbrushes. And it it made me realise, you know, we've put into the hands of our patients the tool that they need to manage their healthcare, which is their smartphone and all the apps that go on it. And people are really taking control of their own health through the use of consumer-based
0: technologies. Yeah, lots of discussion around those sorts of topics, Wendy. There were a couple of points around smartphone apps and I think one of those is that placing the responsibility or some of the responsibility for healthcare with the patient and patients are more engaged, more likely. Adherence is sometimes better. I think that was with reference to the wound care technology actually, but patients are more engaged in their health, which is exactly what it's about because that comes back to it's all about the patient. I heard the term patient as team leader. You know, it, it's patient-centred we heard a lot of patient voices with that. The other thing with health apps is there was a lot of talk around standards and that there's, you know, Every person and the dog can create an app and put it up and market it well. But what are the standards? What is the quality of information? And then data might be gathered, but then what do you do with that data? And how is that data interoperable with other healthcare systems? And privacy. Yeah, look, I mean, it made us realise that
1: you can innovate and you can go a bit wild as we have done in the last two years, um, just because we've had to for speed. But at the end of the day, you know, standards and, and guidelines need to keep up because Otherwise, we do enter um, sort of a bit of a dangerous space where we don't know what's happening with privacy, as you mentioned, um, data privacy, security, even user design, clinical standards and governance. And, you know, there's some great presentations and one of them also was TGA talking about regulation and they obviously have had to work harder than they've ever worked before because there's lots of new players that are innovating and are new to regulation. They don't know the regulation in health and they have to learn it very quickly. So we as healthcare providers have to have some basic knowledge about what our patients are using because if it's in an area that should be regulated, we need to make sure that our patients are aware as well that this is a regulated space. And If you're using an app that is diagnostic or therapeutic in some way, you know, that that, you know, potentially falls under the software as a medical device. I think going back to sort of Liz's comment, she'd mentioned that only 20% of digital technologies would actually meet quality indicators around data, privacy, security, user design, clinical standards if we compared it to, you know, to in-person care Um, so we've got a lot of work to do if it's only 20 percent and the problem is as healthcare providers this is not something we're aware of it's not something we got taught in medical school or that we have time and space to read up on what are the regulations for digital health technologies so we've got some challenges and some barriers to overcome I think as this area grows quite rapidly.
0: It's a normal innovation cycle to create fast, create the prototypes, try to get a market viable product, uh, and then fail fast, and then redesign from that. So I think what we're seeing with medical technology over the last two years with this massive boom reflects that normal innovation cycle. I guess the the challenge is that we're talking about, and we're not just talking about someone having a running app. We're talking about someone's healthcare, so the stakes are higher. However. I think there's going to be a lot of really positive technology come out of the last two years. Once everything gets calibrated, once the standards you know, do start to sort of kick in a little bit more robustly, then there's going to be so much more that will be at the hands of doctors to be able to reduce the patient load in the clinic, make the quality of telehealth a lot better. Was there any other medical tech that you thought would be useful for a GP? There were so many different amazing presentations
1: over the couple of days. I think what really stood out for me though, what you mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, was this thing around patient centricity or consumer centricity and really putting the onus back onto the individual and letting them have power and control. And part of that is by them generating their own data, whether it's that's through wearables, but also having access to their data. So there was talk a lot about patient portals for access to their own information. I think they've been doing some great work in Victoria the Royal Children's Hospital already had a patient portal back in 2016, but they were now using it you know, more broadly across the the Parkville hospitals. And I think what's great about that is, from a GP's perspective, is that you know we often have that disconnect with the hospital system, and you know we rely on maybe I'll get sent a discharge summary, you know maybe I can um, you know get some information from the My Health Record, but now if you've got patients that are carrying a lot of this information with them um, and they're they're owning it. They're controlling it. Married with their own patient-generated data. I think we're going to be a lot more informed as GPs because often we're we're going blind. If you've got a new patient, you don't know anything about them. You're starting from scratch. You're just relying on what
0: they can remember. Um, that's that's starting to change. I love the distinction between patient and consumer. I wanted to ask you: Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's kind of pivotal with where health is going or where health could go? Yeah, look, um, I think you and I have had
1: a discussion about this before and I I get, I'm always a bit confused when I'm in different settings. Sometimes I use the word consumer when I'm in the corporate and the tech world and then I use patient when I'm with doctors. And it made me realise that as doctors, we, we tend to call all of the people that come to see us patients. And I think what that implies is that our patients are sick. You know, there's something wrong with them. And I think but that's why they health. come to you, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and this is where we really need to challenge that model, that reactive care model of a patient comes to us when they're sick and then we, we help them. They go away. We never see them again until they're sick again. And, yes, they're patient's. But I think in the other world where we start to look at preventative care and keeping people well and not just treating disease but actually stopping them from getting disease, whether this is through precision medicine, whether it's through genomics, you know, through its predictive analytics and AI, we really need to start shifting our thinking and maybe using the word consumer is not a bad thing because these people are consuming services. They're not necessarily sick. We're keeping them well and healthy and we don't want them to become a patient. And so I actually don't mind the word consumer. When I first sort of heard it, I was like, oh, no, I'm a doctor. We don't have consumers. We have patients. But now I'm starting to understand more and more that the word consumer is really about, you know, people who who consume or use services to keep themselves well, and we shouldn't give them this, this sick title, which is a patient. So I would like that language to start changing because I think it will then help shift us to start thinking more broadly about what do we as healthcare providers do? Um, you know, we shouldn't just be treating people's diseases and illnesses, we should be stopping them from getting them in the
0: first place. That's a, a big responsibility, but how powerful. The, the other thing that might be a little bit I don't know, a little bit confronting too, is that with all this data, like once we know what to do with the big data around health, I mean, there's so much out there, once it's all pulled together and we can start to look at it and analyze it and slice and dice it, it's going to really cast the light on some dark spots in our healthcare. And dark spots potentially on particular services or even particular practitioners. Is that a little bit threatening though for some people? Yeah, look, this is another controversial
1: (laughs) topic and I sort of, you know, sat on both sides and I I understand that as doctors we don't want to be measured, we don't want to be kind of scrutinised, we just want to keep doing what we do and, and hope that we're doing the right thing. But I think, you know, the time has come where the sustainability of the health system is, is being threatened. We have obviously an ageing population, more and more chronic diseases. We have less and less resources. Our resources are going to be constrained and we really need to identify what are the high value services that we need to provide to keep people well? And the things that we're doing that don't add value, that don't actually contribute to keeping patients or consumers well, um, then we need to not be doing that because we just don't have the money or the people or or the other resources to continue to do that. And the only way we're going to be able to find that out is through data. And unfortunately, you know, through being measured. Um, And it's not to say that we're being measured because you know we're doing the wrong thing and we should you know get in trouble for it it's not a punitive thing but we need to be measured so
0: we can you know apply our resources to the areas that are going to have the most impact. I guess MBS would also have to change in some ways so that doctors are paid for keeping people well as opposed to just fixing them up when they're sick or treating them when they're sick. (laughs)
1: So if if we've got a couple of hours, I'm happy to talk about MBS and funding. (laughs) um, Yeah, that's one of my, um, you know, sort of uh, bugbears is that, yeah, we have this really archaic system that, you know, this fee-for-service model is very much centred around, you know, more activity, you get paid. and. We know, we've got enough data to know that more activity does not generally mean better outcomes. The right activity means better outcomes. And we have been looking at this the wrong way. And obviously, that system was set up many, many years ago, decades ago, when it was fit for purpose back then, but it's not fit for purpose now. With our access to technology, with the models of care that we're now developing, we really do need to up the funding system. And, you know, it's coming slowly, slowly, but I think there needs to be a bit of a push to really overhauling that whole system because we, we won't change unless our funding system supports
0: us to change. Absolutely. All right, we're just about time to wrap up. But before you go, could you please give us a plug for Creative Careers?
1: Oh, look, Wendy, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I mean, Creative Careers in Medicine is a passion project of mine. It's an organization that really gets clinicians to think outside the square in terms of their career and what impact and role they can have in the healthcare system. So, beyond sort of traditional paths, getting them involved in things like, you know, digital health and design of systems into administration, management, to leadership. So we really have a creative community that we've built um, of nearly 14,000 people and we are running our annual event um, in May on the 14th and 15th in Sydney in person and we're very excited <laughs> we've got some inspiring speakers and some you know even talking about digital health and startups and entering the corporate world and getting into involved in management and public health and policy and so be a really interesting couple of days so we'd love it if people head to our website creativecareersinmedicine.com and have a look at the program and yeah come along it should be a jam-packed uh, fun couple of days.
0: Well, I hope the food is as good as it was at the Digital Health Institute summit because it's a, high, it's a high bar to reach. Yeah, I will get there. Oh, trust me, I'm on it. I'm on <laughs> it. <laughs> Look, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. You have a great day. Thanks so much, Wendy. Thank you for having me. dr amandeep hands for you've been listening to the tea room if you've enjoyed this episode search for us on your favorite podcast player and subscribe leave us a review if you like if you've got any tips or want to let me know what you're talking about in your tea room email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The tea room is a production from the journalists at medical republic Keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love keeping you informed. Thanks for tuning in.